so good to be with you this morning. It's so funny, I was watching all the young people get up and do their announcements with these tiny little phones. But of course, me and Mick, we have to have like these great big things so that we can see what we're doing. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Enjoy your youth, guys. It doesn't last forever. (laughs) Well, this morning, we're doing a series of, of Thrive. And the topic this morning in the series is purpose, connected for a purpose. And the psalm that we're reading and the psalm over this whole uh, season and this whole topic is Psalm 92, 12 to 14. And I know we've read it before, but I really think that it's really important that we read it over us even as we start this service. So Psalm 92, 12, 14. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. Thank you, Jesus. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Amen, amen. What a beautiful verse. It reminds us where we need to be connected, where we need to be flourishing, where we need to be watered and nourished and where we will grow and we will thrive. And every person that's been born into this world has been created for a purpose and on purpose by God. So we're not just created to exist, we're created for a purpose and on purpose by Almighty God. You're not a surprise to God, you might have been a surprise to your parents, but God was thinking about us long before we entered this world. God had a blueprint for every single person, a unique purpose for every person, even before we took our first breath. In fact, he says in Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. He knows the plans he has for us. We may not know the plans he has for us, but he knows the plans he has for every single person. And we're all part of a master plan that has been designed by the master. We're all part of that plan. And if I could explain it in a way, I don't know about you guys, but my mum's really traditional Middle Eastern and, and she has these lace tablecloths and they're kind of hand-woven. And, and, and what we are meant to look like and how God works this master plan is like, I sort of imagined one of my mother's tablecloths where everything is, every thread is looped together. Every string is stretched and pulled into place. It's intertwined, it's knotted and it's joined. It's threaded and it's looped. And sometimes other women make these other pieces and then they join them onto this big tablecloth and they sew them all together with this thread. And I think God's master plan can't always be seen from the beginning. But we are meant to be on purpose designed in this master plan of God that when it's laid out, this masterpiece, this tablecloth is laid out and the beauty and the purpose in it is seen when it's all put together as we're all threaded together, connected together and sewn together by the thread of God. He's into masterpieces and when it's all done, it is something very beautiful. And I think about the purposes we have in our life and there are, there are two purposes I can see, just generally speaking, that there's a purpose we have collectively as a body of believers. There's a purpose we have as we connect to one another and that purpose is found in the Great Commission. And ultimately, every believer needs to have this on their life. 
And in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And that is our collective purpose. As a body of believers, we are to go out to preach the gospel and then disciple people, teach people about God. That is our collective purpose. We were born to do that. We're about the kingdom of God. And it's worked outwardly through believers going out into the world and bringing people in to be baptised, bringing people in to be discipled and for them to find their own purpose. And so it goes again and again. When we get baptised, we get baptised into a body, into a community. And this is where the experience happens and the encounter happens as we journey on in God. And then there's another purpose. There's an individual purpose that God has for every single person. How that purpose is carried out. How the collective purpose is carried out in the individual. So we all have our own purposes. And in our life's journey, it's our responsibility to fulfill God's purpose in our life. We can't ask somebody else to do that for us. God has a special purpose for every individual. But no longer do I live for my vision. No longer do I live for my agenda. But now I lay that down and I live for his vision and for his agenda in my life. No longer my purpose, myself. It becomes God's purpose and God's kingdom. And how do we do that? Well, Rick Warren wrote a wonderful book, like, I don't know, 20 years ago. I think every single church did this book together. And the book was called A Purpose Driven Life. And in that book, there's like about 40 different pages where, or 40 different sections where every day you read a page until you do the whole 40. And he opens this book with like four words. It's not about you. That's how the whole book starts, the purpose-driven life. Four words, it's not about you. And I love that. It's not about you. He goes on to say, you don't find the meaning or purpose of your life by looking within yourself. Your purpose is found in others. Jesus said, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And sometimes we think that's about life and death. But actually, the words, the way they're put together, it's, it's Jesus is sort of, the words that stand out to me are life and soul. Life and soul. Life being temporal and your soul being eternal. If you lose your life, your soul will live. If you give your life, your soul will be gained. And what he's saying there, you know, you give up, he's not saying to die. I mean, it sounds a bit like being a martyr and some people have that opportunity and that happens. But he's saying, lay it down like he laid it down. Give the kingdom of God your life and see what happens. And what's really funny is when I look at the world around us and our society, it's actually the opposite our society lives in kind of an opposite um, kind of doctrine. It's completely the opposite. We live in an in, in individualistic society and everybody is about number one. 
and, and I see that a lot. I see that in, in the way we make decisions politically. I see that in the way people deal in business. I, it's like a thread that goes throughout our society, but it doesn't belong to the kingdom of God. It does not belong to the kingdom of God. And many times in society, you'll see the minority will speak the loudest. But God is not a God of just the individual. God is calling us, all of us, into a community. And that individual will not be lost in the community. T.D. Jake says about God, he says, God thinks collectively, God thinks generationally. And God thinks in community. There is a community in heaven. There is, there is a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit knitted together in unity. And on the earth, we are to be knitted together in unity. And when I think about God and how he thinks collectively and how he thinks generationally, I think if you think about the one, there's a beginning and there's an end. But when you think collectively and generationally, that God will use people for generation upon generation upon generation. And it reminds me of the words in the Bible that says, and of his kingdom, there is no end. When we think collectively, when we all come together, it brings that to life. Connected, where all the individual is connected, the individual is loved for, the individual is cared for and thrives within the community. And I come from a place like that. In our Middle Eastern culture, it's all about the community. The community sticks together. The community raises the child. The community cares for the weak. The community helps the poor. The community. And there is so much strength in that. And God is calling us to do that. He does not function alone. God does not function alone. He is unified in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we function at our peak when we are connected to God and connected to his people. I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't watch much TV. But the other day I was visiting somebody and they had on the television uh, Married at First Sight. Does anybody watch that? I hope not. <laughs> but <laughs> there's this show that was on called Married at First Sight. And I thought that they, they even don't even do that in Lebanon anymore. I don't know why they're doing it in Australia. But these couples get married, you know, and they don't know each other. And then they get married on this show and they have uh, like, I don't know, 10 couples or whatever. But last week, as I was just sitting on this lounge at someone's house, it, I was at someone's house, mind you. Anyway, the, this, there were two couples. And one couple, uh, one lady in, one, in, in a couple decided that she liked the man of another lady's husband, like the, the man in the, in the other relationship. And so she texted him and they met and they had a drink or whatever it is you do. And then he promised her, he sort of said to her, yeah, I think you're really cool and I think we could really get together. And, and they did this behind the back of their spouses. And so she went off home and then he went off home. And then at the end of the week when they got together, she was expecting and she was sort of said to him, I've got to think of myself. I'm here to find love. I've got to think of myself. No, I'm, I'm the priority here. I came on this show to find love. And he said, yeah, yeah, me too, you know, thinking about themselves. When the end of the week came, he, just, he changed his mind and she wasn't expecting it. And I thought, you deserve that girl. <laughs> but you know what? It, it, just, it just created a, such a mess when the, the, his wife found out that he was with her and her husband found out she was. And you know what? When you think about yourself, when you think about I'm number one, when you think about, you know, I'm the most important thing in my world, that's what happens. You create a mess. It's not meant to be that way. You don't find love thinking about yourself. That's not how you find love. And that just showed to me. And I thought, wow, you know, God, there is a principle in that. 
And you know, God writes in the Bible about so much that shows us about purpose and life. And there are so many people that are intricately woven in God's design that we never would think that even belong there. You know, it's full of examples. God's divine purpose fulfilled through the most imperfect people and the most difficult circumstances. Sometimes when we think about the purpose of God, we think everything should run perfectly. But it's purpose, not perfection. And when I think about the life of Moses... You know, Moses was a great man. He had a great purpose. But, you know, if his mother would be there today being pregnant, if I could talk to her today, she was pregnant at a time when it was so inconvenient. It was the wrong time to be pregnant because Pharaoh was killing all the sons of the Hebrew families. He was born at a time when when he was born, he was meant to die. And I'm sure his mother prayed and said, God, I pray that this child is a daughter. And in the Middle East, they don't often pray that prayer. But she would have said, God, let this be a daughter. I do not want a son because if it's a son, they're going to kill my son. And then it was born. The baby was born and it was a son. And I'm sure she was disappointed. God, how can this be part of your purpose that this child now has to die? And the Bible says she looked at that child and he was beautiful. But what mother would look at her child and not say that? Every mother thinks their child is beautiful. But I think what she saw in that child was purpose. And so she began her thoughts on how she was going to save this child. And she put the child, as we know, in a basket and she put it on the river. And then the story goes that the the princess saw this basket. And so God's purpose was on time. It was not the wrong time. God's purpose for that child was already there before he was even born. And he floated on the river. Anything could have happened to him. He could have been eaten by a crocodile. He could have sunk. So many things could have happened to him. But his life had a purpose. And God knew his life had a purpose. And God had his hand on that child and that purpose. And God needed to move the child from being a slave to being a king. And that's how God did that. He needed to be a king because God knew what his purpose was. He needed to be educated. He needed to know how to read and write. He needed to know how to handle money. He needed to be a really good accountant. He needed to know so many things. He could not be born into a slave family and have a slave attitude because then he would not be able to do what God has called him to do. It's all part of the purpose. I'm sure his mother didn't think that at the time, but it was all part of the purpose. And so he grew up in a palace. He never was hungry. He had everything he needed. He knew power. He knew influence. He was a great man. He needed to be that sort of man according to God's purpose. And then he left that palace. He he committed quite an evil thing. He killed an Egyptian. So he was a murderer. And that drove him into his next purpose. And sometimes things happen in our lives and we can look at that and say, you know, that is such a terrible thing that's happened to me. How can this be part of God's purpose? But sometimes it's the way God moves us to the next thing, preparing us for our purpose. And so he headed off and he led his people. His purpose was to save God's people from slavery. And he needed all of those things that he learned in that time to save God's people and lead them into the promised land. And his individual purpose, he needed to receive the law. He needed to receive the law on that mountain and bring it down and teach the children of Israel about God's law. In Exodus, God talks about what he, will, what he was going to do with Moses 
and the people of Israel. In Exodus 34.10, it says this, And he, God, said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. That's what he said to Moses, and that's what he said to the people. And I say that to every single one of you today. It is an awesome thing that he will do with you. It is an awesome thing that God will do with you. Marvels will people see through your life according to his purpose. And sometimes there's terrible tragedies. There are times we, you know, we, we might think, you know, I just can't handle this anymore. But there's a purpose. There is a God purpose. Sometimes we'll find ourselves sitting with kings. It's not for our glory, but it's for his purpose. Sometimes we'll find ourselves sitting in prison like Paul. It's not for us, but it's for his purpose. And whatever the times and whatever the seasons, I want to remind us that it is an awesome thing that God will do if you are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. The season, the journey, there's always a purpose because we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. If you think about David, another mighty man of God, God trained him from even as a little boy. He was a shepherd. He had to learn things as a shepherd to make him a king. If he couldn't be a shepherd over the sheep, he couldn't be a king over the people. And in that place of him being a shepherd, he learned to protect. He learned to fight the enemy. So he's the little brother of all these big brothers and they're all warriors and out fighting and they are fearing and scared of this man called Goliath. But the shepherd that had a calling and a purpose that was defending the sheep and was, was killing the enemy of the sheep came in, the littlest, you know, the youngest boy. And I don't know about your family, but in our family, Mickey's the youngest and Mickey's always the one that has to do everything. So Brittany will say, Mickey, can you get me a glass of water? Brad will say, Mickey, can you please mow the lawn? Everybody tells Mickey what to do. And I think about David, that is probably like that. He's, you know, his father said, go and get your, your brother's lunches and bring them in. So he probably thought, I I'm always slaving around for my brothers. Do I really have to do this? You know, having a complaint. I don't know, because Mickey does have a bit of a whinge sometimes. But, you know, he went and he got the lunch and he came. But there was a purpose that he came. There was a purpose that he came. He came and he had the opportunity to fulfill the purpose for that moment and he killed Goliath then and there. He was already being trained. He was in the place that he would know what to do when he came into his purpose. You know, he was, David was a servant to the king before he was a king. He used to go and play music for a tormented king. And in that time of playing music and learning the instruments and writing songs, he wrote the most beautiful songs to God in the book of Psalms. He wrote songs and he wrote words to magnify and glorify God that no one else has ever written like David wrote. It was for a purpose. He was a poet. He was a worshiper. He wrote so many things to God to glorify him. And he was a warrior. He became a warrior. And then after he became a warrior, he became a fugitive. 
there are so many things that led him to find his purpose. And finally, David became the king, but not a king like any other king. Israel had many, many kings. But in the process of David's calling, he was equipped to be the king whose name would be associated with the name of the king of all kings. And Jesus was called son of David. Jesus was called son of David. What a mighty king he was. What a mighty purpose he was. And I just want to say that everything you're going through now is preparing you for the next thing that you need to achieve, the next purpose that God has for you. And then after you finish that thing, God is going to use that thing to pull you into the next purpose of the next thing. And after that, again, it will happen again. And that's why we need to be connected to the house of God. So as we journey in our life, we have people to pray for us, encourage us, lift us up as we go from our purpose to purpose to purpose. He will work all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. On Friday, um, I have the honour and the privilege of um, running New Life at Fairfield. And this week, one of our leaders who comes, um, she actually comes from another church. She, she was doing a conference in her church, but she brought some Fijian ladies um, to New Life on Friday morning. And one of the ladies shared a story with me and it really touched my heart. She said that her husband um, was one of the Fijian, uh, actually the United Nations peacekeeping forces in Iraq. And there was a time when they were doing the whole peacekeeping thing and, and ISIS came and took them, took the peacekeeping force. And what they wanted, they didn't really care much for the, for the peacekeepers, they just wanted money. They wanted money from the United Nations. And so... Um, they started to do negotiations and, and ask for money. And United Nations says, we, we can't, we don't do that. These people are not army. They're not belonging to any government. These people, are, you know, they're a peacekeeping force. And so there was no money exchanged. So it was quite dangerous. They didn't know whether they would see them again. They didn't know what was going to happen. But she said her husband and the whole group started to pray. They started to be really kind to the people that captured them. They started to talk to them about Jesus to love on them. They, were, they had a great spirit. And it was like God did something in that moment. And then when it was time to be released, they were happy to release them. And they were released not as enemies, but as friends. And the impact of that on, on the enemy was absolutely amazing. It broke down walls. It broke down walls. It did something. And while we think, gosh, being captured, it's such a terrible thing. But God turned it into a mighty purpose where these men actually were weeping when these Fijian um, peacekeepers left because of the love that they had been shown. It's amazing what God does with our lives when we allow him to. Even in terrible circumstances, frightening times, it's always part of a higher purpose. And even if it isn't, God will turn that around and use that to glorify, from glory to glory. That's what the Bible says. I just want to share with you, I know most people know my life and know my testimony, but, you know, I was a Christian at about 22 or 23 years old. And um, I started to go to church. The first thing I did was connect myself with the house of God because that's where I would go and I would find peace and I would hear the word of God. And then I, I just felt like I was growing stronger and stronger in my spirit every week. And at that time, Mick was still on his journey, so he wasn't coming with me. But I decided then that I'm just going to be in the house of God. And I just connected to, to the church. And when we, when, you know, 
after a while, when we came to this church, which was probably about 16 years ago, by then my whole family was in church. It was an amazing time. But I had, I had three small children. You know, the, the kids were at school. The little one had just started preschool. Mickey, I think, was probably about three years old. All I could give God was a Tuesday, a couple of hours on a Tuesday. And so I just thought, you know what, I, I can't really do much. I don't know much. I can clean. They, need, they needed cleaners because we couldn't afford to have cleaners when we first came into the building. And I thought, you know what, I'll do that. I can do that. I'm a great housewife. My house is spotless, you know, when I'm home. That's, that's something I could, a good little Lebanese girl can do. So I started to clean. And I, and I was really confident in that. I thought that I could do that really, really well. And I just did that. I kept on going. But <coughs> even in that season where I thought I was doing nothing, where I thought it was, you know, nothing. God was preparing me. God was preparing me. God was preparing my future. He was preparing the purpose he had for me. Even in that thing that I was doing, just cleaning his house, he wanted to see, was I going to be faithful? Was I going to do it with the best possible heart that I could do that? And God knew what he was doing. And so how do we find our purpose? How do we as individuals find our purpose? And I looked up to see what other ministers say about purpose and, you know, and what might help us to find our purpose. And I saw things like, you know, passion. What are you passionate about? You know, what stirs you up? Then, I, then there was gifting. What is your gifting? What are you really good at? What do you find is your gifting? Then some people said, where have you positioned yourself? Are you in the right place at the right time? And I think all these things are good, you know, I... I can't see anything wrong with, with thinking about all those things. But, you know, I'm really good at cleaning, but that was not my passion. I just did what I could at that time. And my giftings, certainly public speaking is not my gifting. Um, when I was at school and in high school and all the years of my schooling, when it was my turn to do a speech, you know how they do the little cards for three minutes and you stand in front of the class. My, my maiden name used to start with a Y and I would plan it that on the day they were ready to do that part of the alphabet because I used to do them in alphabetical order. I would be away that day to make sure that I didn't have to speak. That was me. So that was not my gifting. Um, being at the right place at the right time. Well, can I just tell you that I'm, I was always in church. Being at the, I was in the right place all the time, every Sunday, every prayer meeting. I was just there every single time. So there's, there's no need, I think, to find it. You just need to say, God, take my life and I will do whatever you put in my hands. I will serve in the house of God and he will lead you and guide you into your purpose because he's actually looking at your heart more than he's looking at your hands. Your purpose is found in those God places and God people around you. And I don't know if anybody knows a man by the name of Dennis Waitley. He's a famous motivational speaker, psychologist. He wrote many books designed to help people succeed. And one of them's called Seeds of Greatness. I'm not sure if he's a Christian. I couldn't find that. But what he said is, no man or woman is an island. To exist just for yourself is meaningless. You can achieve the most satisfaction when you feel related to some greater purpose in life, something greater than yourself. We were not designed just to exist. We were designed on purpose for a purpose. And many of us live our lives like a Phillips head screwdriver trying to screw in a slotted screw. We push, we strive, we make a lot of damage, but it just does not fit. And God connected, to us to, connected us to the people and the places he has purposed for us 
and we don't have to strive, we don't have to push, we don't have to shove. We just have to stay connected to God and to each other and to the house of God. And God will lead us and he will guide us. And I've seen that in my whole life. I've seen that in my husband's life. I've seen that in my children's life. That's all we do is be found in the house of God. So what is your purpose? What is your purpose? Have you given your life to Jesus? Many people come up to the altar and give their life to Jesus. And then they go back and live and take it back again. When you give your life to Jesus, you lay your life down. You lay it down. You say, no more. I do what I want to do, but I want to do what you want to do. I now belong to a kingdom that is greater than myself. So just as the band comes up and starts to play, what I would like to do is to open this altar because I believe that there is so much potential for purpose in this congregation that every single person here has a divine purpose and a calling on their life to do something for God. And while it might look small at the moment, the repercussions are so big, the greatness, so big that it's, it's about eternal life, it's about eternity. And you don't know what impact you're going to have on eternity if you don't ask God and say, God, what is my purpose? Am I living in that purpose you designed me to live?